Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Elhamdülillahi Rabbil Alemin. Ve sallallahu ve sellem ala khatimil enbiya'i ve mursalin. Seyyidina Muhammed ve alihi ve sahbihi ecma'in. Ve ba'd. In the name of Allah, most gracious, most merciful, I begin with the greeting words of paradise. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. And for those of our guests and friends who are here tonight, these are the words of peace. And I pray that these moments that we spend together tonight uh, would be a source of peace and understanding. And I want to speak to you tonight concerning this issue of Islam and the New World Order, not necessarily from a very high intellectual point of view, but I want to speak to you tonight from the heart. And I want to try to look at the issue and also look at the reality facing uh, Muslims and some of the changes that are going on in the world today. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us in the Quran, A'udhu billahi min ash-shaytani rajim, Ya ayyuhalladheena amunu attaqullaha wa kulu qawlan sadeeda, yuslih lakum a'malakum wa yaghfir lakum dunubakum, wa ma yuti allaha wa rasoolahu, faqad faza fawzan azeema. Allah tells us, O you who believe, have the consciousness of Allah and speak a straightforward word. He would repair your deeds and forgive you of your sins. And whoever obeys Allah and his messenger has surely gained a mighty triumph. And so in this spirit of qawlan sadida, speaking very straightforward with you, I want to look at this issue. For the past few years, I have had the opportunity to travel throughout the Muslim world, to look at the different communities where Muslims find themselves either in a majority situation or a minority. And also to seek guidance from Islamic leaders, to try to look at the situation that we are in and to understand what is going on in the world. And after a long time in the field, I've really come to the conclusion that we are at the doorstep of a great change. It is like the calm before a storm. And for many people who have embraced Islam, the times that we live in now are very confusing. And there's a, a sort of tension uh, that people feel um, when they come to Islamic events. And um, sometimes there's misunderstanding. And although the numbers of Muslims are increasing, we also find to a certain extent that um, in some areas tension is also increasing and misunderstanding. And this I believe is uh, something is, you know, can be uh, attributed to deception. And this word is ghurur in the Arabic language. And deception is a terrible thing. It can come internally, it can come externally. It comes through the mass media. It comes through the mouth of people. And sometimes, even within the mind of the individual, there can be forms of deception. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah to Yunus, in the 16th verse, has told us, For men adlamu mimmen iftada ala Allahi kathiba, o kathaba bi ayati, innahu la yuflihu al-mujrimun. Allah tells us, and who is more unjust than he who forges a lie against Allah 
or denies his signs, surely the criminals, the wrongdoers, will never be successful. This is a very strong verse. And this word mujrim, talking about ijram, is a very strong description of, 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 of deceiving people, of, of presenting the wrong image. And what we have noticed is that when the word Islam comes to the surface, when people are uh, from the mainstream hear the word Islam or Muslims, an image of negativity comes to their minds and their hearts. And we did a study in Toronto. We went to the different corporations. It was an anti-racist study. And this is where we were testing the, the psychology of people in relationship to different ethnic groups or, or different uh, physically or mentally challenged people. And so we, there was a person who was a native. Um, and there was a working woman. And there was a person of African descent. And I was the Muslim in this psychological test. And so they asked the people, look at the picture. And for instance, the picture would show them ice, and they answer cold. They see sugar, and they answer sweet. And then they saw Muslim, or Islam. And every single person in the corporation answered violence. Some of them said holy violence. They said holy violence. And so when I began to explain to them that the word Islam, the very word itself, comes from peace, and it really means uh, submit, uh, finding peace in submission to the Creator, and, and beginning to explain what Islam is, the people were in confusion because what was presented to them, what they took in to be reality, was something different than what we know about Islam, or we have learned about Islam historically in the Muslim world. This is a case of deception. Last week, I was called to New York, the week before to New Jersey. And in one of the gatherings, we were in the Schomburg Institute for Black Culture in Harlem, and there was a program about slavery in Mauritania. And there were people there who had the actual footage of, of slave trade going on, or what appeared to be slave trade. And they were focusing on Mauritania. And when we listened to the terminologies being used, and I was asked to be on the panel of the people, when we investigated the terminologies being used, when we investigated what was actually being said, we realized that the focus of that night was not upon the few sick individuals in Mauritania or wherever it may be who are trying to capture people or control people. It wasn't on that. But the real agenda was to paint an image that Islam allows slavery, encourages slavery, it is the religion of slavery, to present a negative image so that African-American people would not embrace Islam. Because we know when you talk about slavery in America, you are talking about one of the most hateful concepts to the African people living in the West. And so by innocently coming in and presenting slave trade in Mauritania, or so-called slave trade, what was happening is that an image of that part of the world where many of the great scholars of Islam came from, an image would be presented that would be a negative image that doesn't really deal with the issue itself on the ground, but spends more time being negative in a general sense about Islam. 
while we are here in Miami, and while we enjoy the peace and the calm and the food, there are Muslims in the Muslim world who are suffering. It is becoming a very, very serious situation. And I had the opportunity to speak to some of the Muslims coming from uh, the areas in the Muslim world and found out that what is happening on the ground in many parts of the Muslim world is very much different than what comes over the media. In Kashmir, today there are people who are dying. There are people being arrested. Women are being raped. In Palestine now, although it appears to be a situation where leadership is moving toward peace, on the ground level, there are, there are people being arrested. There are people tortured in prisons. The, 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 the pain of the people in Gaza has not been lifted. It's a worse situation than it was five years ago. But what you get in the media in many cases is something totally different. But one of the most bizarre cases that I found out about recently is the case of Algeria. And the case of Algeria, Al Jazair, and there are many of us who are reading the papers constantly and feeling disgusted at the murders of what we are getting from the press there, of these murders of women and children being uh, killed and their throats slit. Something which is terrible. Hundreds of people being just bludgeoned to death in, in, in these villages. And I had the opportunity to speak to some of the brothers from Algeria who, who have contacts on the ground, <coughs> what is actually happening in Algeria itself. And they showed me that for the most part, the areas where people are being punished, are being killed, are areas that support the Islamic movement. And this was, this was confirmed to me in the Toronto Star when they had a, a very big picture of a Muslim woman who was crying and, and it said that she is from the village of Bin Talha. And in this village, 200 people had been killed, but Bin Talha is known to be a village where they support the Islamic movement. Then it said, however, it is not clear who carried out this slaughter. It is probably Islamic fundamentalists. Now, how are you going to slaughter people when these people support you? And this is happening over and over again. And so we are recognizing that people are being killed. Families supporting the Islamic movement are being killed, maimed, terrorized, and then their children, who may be trying to stand up for Islam, are being blamed for the slaughter. And this is why Allah tells us, Who is more unjust than somebody who tells a lie on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, on people who are trying to be decent and trying to, to, to stand up for their rights in that country? We also recognize the strategic importance of Algeria. And those who have studied colonialism recognize that over a million people died in Algeria standing up against the French. And that it was, it was an example for other nations. And that if something happens in Algeria, if Islam is established in Algeria, inshallah, that no doubt it would have a great effect upon the whole of the Muslim world. And it reminded me, and, 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 and the people who are suffering, you know, reflected on the Quran itself. And they reflected on the verse in Surah Al-A'raf 127, when the people came to, to Fir'aun, to the Pharaoh, one of the Pharaohs of Egypt. And they came to him and they said, what are you going to do about Moses? 
about Musa salam and his people. These people are causing confusion. They are challenging your authority. And so Pharaoh said, سَنُقَتِّلُ أَبْنَاءَهُمْ وَنَسْتَحْيِي نِسَاءَهُمْ وَإِنَّا فَوْقَهُمْ قَاهِرُونَ He said that we will kill their male children and save their females alive. For we have irresistible power over them. And then Musa answered in the same verse, Allah gives us the answer of Musa alayhi salam, قَالَ مُوسَى لِقَوْمِهِ اسْتَعِينُوا بِاللَّهِ وَاسْبِرُوا إِنَّ الْأَرْضَ لِلَّهِ يُورِثُهَا مَنْ يَشَاءُ مِنْ عِبَادِي وَالْعَاقِبَةُ لِلْمُتَّقِينَ Musa alayhi salam answered back and he said, Seek your help from Allah and be patient. Surely this earth belongs to Allah, belongs to the Creator. And he gives, he gives it to whom he pleases from his servants. And the best reward is for those who have taqwa, who have the consciousness of God. And so he spoke to them. He didn't say to them, get your weapons ready. Get a large army. Develop new ways of killing. He didn't say that. He said, Ista'inu billahi wasbiru. Make your isti'ana, seek your help from the Lord of the worlds. And have patience. Surely Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is ultimately the one who is in control. And so when we look at this situation with the world going through great changes in what is called this great uh, new world order, we have to think of the words of Musa alayhi That even though Muslims to a certain extent are being demonized, are being made into the other, we believe strongly that it is only a matter of time. And that if we have patience, that it will change to another subject. Somebody else will become the enemy. Just like the Japanese had patience and you know, Germans were even being demonized and even Irish people to a certain extent, the native people are always being demonized. But after a while it changes. And now they're working on Spanish drug cartels and Afro-American gangs and Jamaican posse. And, 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 and they're also, uh, of course, the most you know, terrible uh, uh, terrorist, terrorist you can bring to the screen is the Arab terrorist, who's a Muslim. And then the heroes go to save the world. Chuck Norris, <laughs> Steven Seagal, the guy with the little ponytail, Arnold Schwarzenegger, the big man. All of them are out ridding the world of the new menace. There's a problem. And the poor Muslims are sitting there, you know, what is going wrong? In the Muslim world, they're drinking Coca-Cola and, you know, trying to go to McDonald's and, you know, you know you're trying to get a visa to America. And, and, and Arnold Schwarzenegger is angry at them. So it's hard for people to understand what is really going on. And, and, and some people who know the changes in the world, they say, just take it easy and be calm, because soon the greatest enemy that Hollywood has ever seen, and it is coming now, will be in front of us. And all alliances will, will drop to face this enemy, and we see it coming in now. It is the aliens. And so if the aliens take over as the enemy, then maybe, inshallah, somebody will leave us alone. <laughs> Getting back to our subject, however, in an article written in 1994, speaking about revitalized Islam, and also in the same year, in the Atlantic Monthly, um, Turabi's Law, The Cross and the Crescent, Islam in the West, many of the 
important journals in the 90s have written articles concerning the great changes going on in the world. And in this article in The Economist, we find that they were dividing up the world in the 21st century into three camps. This is how people who think in terms of the political world order are thinking. They divided the world into three camps. The first is the West. And now in the West, Russia is included in the West. Before Russia, the Soviet Union was the bad guys. And it was the, the Eastern Bloc and the Western Bloc. The Cold War was on, but now the Ber Berlin Wall is down. And the Russians are eating at McDonald's. <laughs> and it's changed. So they are part of the West. So that's number one. Two was the, the countries of the Pacific Rim. The countries in the Pacific Rim, Confucian-based cultures, the Asian countries, and the growing economies. This is considered to be the second world power in the 21st century. And the third, they said, was the world of Islam. And that's very interesting because they didn't say Islamic fundamentalists. They didn't talk about a little cell group out to destroy the world. They were, they were trying to be more uh, intellectual. They looked at the whole situation and they said, the world of Islam. And when they discussed this article, and also when Bernard Lewis, one of the uh, famous so-called experts of the West on Islam, uh, spoke about this in the Atlantic Monthly, um, they looked at Islam not in terms of individuals, not in terms of a little religious cult, but they looked at Islam as a civilization. Because Islam is really a civilization. And we know that when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling us, inna deena indallahi al-Islam, that surely the way of life with Allah is al-Islam, he is not speaking about a religion in the religious Western narrow sense, but a way of life that includes your economic situation, your political life, your social life, your personal life, your collective life. All spheres of your existence come within your way of life. And so they recognize, even though some Muslims don't yet recognize, that Islam is a way of life. And no doubt, Islam has had a powerful influence on the world. And I like to look back at 1492, especially for people living in this part of the world, because historically it is one of the great cutoff points. And not just because of the fact that Christopher Columbus uh, bumped into America when he was lost and he was found by the native people here. They discovered him, not just because of that, but because of the fact that in 1492 was the fall of Granada. And that was when the authority that the Muslims had had in Western Europe for over 700 years, when the great achievements in science, in math, in all the different uh, fields of, of, of intellectual thinking, the practical sciences. And that society in Andalusia that was built reached the pinnacle of civilization, where they were able to uh, use the forces of nature, bring the water out of the mountains without causing pollution. They were able to develop uh, chemicals and, 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 and make scientific achievements without poisoning the water, without poisoning the air. They lived in an environmentally friendly way 
although they were scientific. And what was also very important about this age was the fact that not only were they at the height of science and knowledge, but they were at the height of monotheism. And so the scientists was a strong believer in the creator. When the scientists studied botany and biology and looked into the creations of Allah, it strengthened his faith in the creator. When the scientists, when the doctor recognized the power of the immune system, that Allah has made a system within us that fights off the disease even while we're sleeping. Then when the doctor saw this, it increased his knowledge of the creator. The more that the scientists, the mathematicians, the intellectuals pondered the creation, the stronger they became in their belief in Allah. The stronger they became in their determination to try to set a system up that not only would give freedom of speech and thought to Muslims, but also allowed Christians and Jews and other people to function in the society. And quiet as it's kept, in the time when the Muslims ruled in Andalusia, it was the golden age of Jewish literature. It was their golden age. Maimonides, Ibn Ma'mun, and many of their great intellectuals were in Muslim Spain. This is where they got their education. And so we recognize that they set up a society that influenced the whole planet. And our modern life that we are living now has a great debt to the Muslims. Like Al-Kashani who had a computer in the 15th century. Like Ibn Sina in his The Law of Medicine, Al-Qanun fi tib where he laid down the law of medicine in this encyclopedia type uh, uh, work that he did that, that European scientists benefited from up until the 16th, 17th century. We also recognize that, that, that Isaac Newton, when, when he discovered gravity, it wasn't just because the apple hit him in his head. He was probably reading an Arabic text, and the apple woke him up, and he turned to the page on gravity. <laughs> because Muslims already knew about gravity. Muslims already knew about gravity. That was nothing new. Zero is an Arabic letter. I mean a number, sifr. One, two, three, four, five. First traces of this use we see in ancient Egypt. If you go to the temple in Saqqara, the great pyramid in Saqqara, the old kingdom of Egypt, you will find zero and decimal numbers. 3000 BC. In ancient India, you'll also find the use of zero. But the Muslims were able to take it and to, and to revolutionize it and to make it relevant. Taking science and making it relevant with your tohedic understanding, your monotheistic understanding, make it relevant to the world. Benefit creation, enhance life with your science and your technology. Keep your modesty and your dignity, although you have progress. That was, that was the great achievement of the Muslims. And that, I believe, is, is one of the important reasons why <coughs> the economists and other groups looked upon the world of Islam <coughs> as one of the three powers. Another reason, and they also talked about this in The Economist, is because within Islam, in the economic system, is zero interest. And that is the most frightening thing about the world of Islam. 
not Sharia, Islamic law. They're not afraid of hijab, of women being modest or men growing a beard. They don't care if you make salat, make it all night. But if you start taking, you took all the money, all the Gulf money out of the banks and put it in a bank with zero interest at the Sultan of Brunei, and other place took his money and put it in a bank with zero interest, you would change the economy of the world. All of the bank structures and the insurance buildings that you see, every city that we go into, and the brother, we were driving by um, the, the Miami skyline. And the brother said, this is Miami. And really for me, you know, as I told him, this is similar to other cities in North America. Look at the buildings. The biggest one is probably the bank, the insurance building, like everywhere else the people who are dealing with interest. So if you say now that we want money to be shared between people, that the bank would give a loan to somebody based on their merit, and the bank and the person would share in the project. You have the land, he has the money. If the project is successful, you're both successful. If the project fails, you both fail. This is the Islamic system. The way it is now, if the project fails, you fail. But he keeps the money. And so we recognize the fact that this is a strong alternative to what we see in the world today. Another point, and this might sound strange to you, dealing with, uh, especially in the light of certain tensions in our community, in healthy Islam, the women are highly educated. In healthy Islam, women and children are participating in Islamic activities. And you go in the time of the Prophet ﷺ, and you look at the revelation, the first person to accept Islam was a woman. And she, she confirmed Islam. The first, first person to die shaheed to sacrifice their life for Islam, Sumeya radiallahu anha, is a woman. The person who reported the second most amount of hadith, Aisha radiallahu anha, is a woman. In the battle of Uhud, one of the people who defended the Prophet with her body was a woman. Many of the battles, the women would go. The Prophet, peace be upon him, would draw lots, would take lots between his wives and, and take her to the battle. In healthy Islam, the whole community participates. In healthy Islam, young people are involved in the masjid. Young people are involved in the leadership. Abdullah ibn Abbas, ibn Mas'ud. And you can continue on with the five Abdullahis. And Usama bin Zaid, Ali ibn Abi Talib, Fatima, Hafsa. May Allah be pleased with them all. Young people involved in the leadership of Islam. It is reported in Andalusia, Muslims are on the heights, in healthy Islam, that one of the Khulafa, his name was Hisham al-Thalith, Hisham III, that he wanted to get married. And he was a scholar of Islam himself. He's the leader, but he was a scholar. So he wanted to get married, so he said, I, he put out the word to the community and he said, I want to be married to a, a young sister, but the condition for marriage is that she has to memorize the Quran. That's the condition for my wife. And anybody within this city, the capital city, 
in Andalusia, who has a daughter ready for marriage, who's memorized the Quran, put a candle in your window. That night, as history records, 500 candles were lit. So the Khalifa was a little bit confused. <laughs> so he put another condition, put another one. And he said, not only should she memorize the Quran, but she should memorize Al-Muwatta'ah. The Muwatta'ah of Imam Malik, عن, the famous book of Hadith, the first authentic Hadith, she should memorize the whole Muwatta'ah with the Quran. And as history records, 350 candles were lit. You imagine this? That means there were 350 women eligible for marriage who memorized the whole Quran and the whole of the Muwatta'ah. I'm not talking about their mothers. I'm not talking about their fathers. I'm not talking about the students in the madrasa of Islamic knowledge. These are the general, this is the general population. This is healthy Islam. When the whole community is involved in Islamic practice. But deception has another program. It has another program. Because within this order, and you'll hear a lot of political theories about, and I'm not here tonight to, to give you conspiracy theories of the Illuminati and all the different groups that are out to destroy the world. No doubt there may be some groups like this. There may be some Masonic orders and secret groups that are plotting and they cause the French Revolution and World War I and World War II. And, and, and they have some aliens hidden in New Mexico under the ground. And you know, there's a lot of things that could be happening. I'm not, I don't want to deal with that right now because it might confuse us and frighten us more than help us. But the reality of the situation that we have to look at is that within that new world order, within this, this, this image which is being given, Islam, healthy Islam is being demonized. Healthy Islam is being demonized. And this is a major mistake. It is a major mistake because within Islam is the answers to the problems of secularism. According to Bernard Lewis in his article in the Atlantic Monthly and other scholars, that in Europe itself, a great change went on in the Christian church when there were battles between the Protestants, the people who protested against the Vatican. And great struggles went on. People died. There was great tension. And also, scientists were persecuted by people in the church. And so secular thinking developed. And that is where you keep your religion in your house. You pray in your church or your synagogue or your mosque, but we run this society based upon civil law, secular law. And that law is something that has to be agreed upon by the people. Now the problem is that we recognize when we look at how law has developed is that the masses of people have not really been involved in the decision making. That only a few have been involved and that we have been fed propaganda. And the masses of people in Europe were fed propaganda and they went on the crusades. They went into the Muslim world thinking they were rescuing the true cross of Christ. But Christians were already there in the Middle East. Many of the, of the Arabs living in Palestine were Christians. But they went there and slaughtered the people and died. They were deceived. It is deception. Later on, other propaganda is being used. 
when the conquistadores, Columbus, Da Gama, Balboa went out, they denied the civilizations of the aboriginal people, all of the countries they came to, coming to America and say, I discovered you. When the people lived here for 10,000 years. The people have, a, have civilization, have language, have everything. And they probably saved your life and gave you something to drink and some oranges for your scurvy. And then you say, I discovered you, and you give them the disease that you brought on the boat. But the worst thing is to say you discovered the place, that you will deny the civilization of the people living in that area. Now what is happening is probably one of the most effective, diabolical means of propaganda. The television, the media, that in its inception appeared to be a very innocent tool has now become a powerful tool of mind control. Anybody can be demonized. And people are watching that television and they believe in it. If the CNN says it, it must have happened. This is being beamed all over the world in the mountains of Nepal, in the deserts of the Sahara, in the jungles of South America, somebody got a TV. And they're watching the international um, propaganda or one-sided information that is being spread throughout the world. And this is the new deception. And so this order, this, this order that some people speak about is an order that would have religion on the side. People who believe in God, you consider to be an ignorant person, a backward person. It also glorifies race and nationalism. It also promotes class divisions. There's the rich and the poor, and it seems like in many countries, the rich are getting richer and the poor are getting poorer. And that is what we see on the outside. On the inside of the people's hearts, they are being deceived into the love of the life of this world. And I think this is one of the greatest parts of this new world order is that it is a confusion. It is a fantasy world being promoted to you. It is an international Disneyland, which is being propagated to the people of the world. So you think that that's what the world is. You think that everything will be okay if you live in a certain way, if you eat certain foods, if you act in a certain way. This is roar. It is deception. In the Toronto area, the deception of the people in the life of this world has reached a high level, and I'm sure it's down here too. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us, dunya illa mata'ul that surely the life of this world is nothing but a material deception. And so people are putting their life on the lottery. Put down your money and hope for success. And in Toronto area, a few weeks ago, a woman won $21 million. And the whole of Ontario stood still. The whole of Canada stood still to look at this woman who won this money and that now she is successful, she has made it in this world. But you know what her father said? May God help us. That's what her father said. He had sense. Because after she won the money, people were calling her house to marry her, to sell her things. She got death threats. She had to hire bodyguards. And now they had to move out of their house. 
So the money that she thought was liberation was actually a prison. It is a punishment. In England, just recently a man won 35 million pounds sterling in the lottery. And England, the UK, stood still. And he wanted to get his Hayat dunya he wanted his dunya, and he started eating food and eating food and eating food. And this is a real story, came in our paper. He started eating food because he wanted the dunya. Bring me Italian food, bring me Russian food, bring me Chinese, bring me African, bring me, I want my dunya. He started taking in the dunya until he reached 315 pounds and he dropped dead. Within a few months, his Hayat dunya destroyed him. This is one of the greatest weapons in the, in the so-called New World Order. And that is to take the people into a state of confusion. But I want to take it to, I want to, take it to another level tonight for the Muslims. There is a special form of deception for Muslims. And this is interesting. And there was a scholar in the 8th century after the Hijrah, Ibn Qudama al-Maqdasi, rahimahullah, from Syria, in his Minhaj al-Qasidin. In this work that he wrote, he studied the internal workings of people. He studied the heart. He studied that the spirit, he looked not only externally, but he wanted to know what makes us tick on the inside. And in his chapter, Bab al he had a special chapter for deception. And he showed us that when you talk about taqwa, you are talking about a combination of al-khawf wa raja. That taqwa is fear, you fear the punishment of Allah, but at the same time, you hope in the mercy of Allah. And we know that Allah is most merciful, so Islam speaks more about the mercy of Allah than about the punishment. But there's two things going on at the same time. And he pointed out that, that, that fear and hope are, are, are catalysts that stimulate you to action. Fear makes you run from something. Hope makes you move towards something. But anything that stops you from working, that stops you from doing your, your, your actions of Islam is deception. It is ghuroa. And it is alive and well. And the word ghuroa also means in the dictionary delusion, illusion, conceit, vanities, danger. And it also is used to describe the shaitan himself. Because that is the essence of the devil's trick is to, de is, is to deceive people. And so the great scholar looked at the Muslims. And from amongst what he came across, and it's so interesting because this was in the 8th century. Okay, we're, we're now right 14, right? Uh, 15th century. And when you look at that, you will see that, as he pointed out, there's a general deception that the masses of the people have, like those who bet on the lottery. And you know, the person who gave the lottery to the woman in Toronto, his name was Yusuf. He was a Muslim who owned the 7-Eleven. And he was smiling and congratulating her. So he's caught up in the illusion himself. So the Muslims can get caught up in that 
general illusion and deception that goes to the masses of the people. But there's another one for people who, who have knowledge, people who have done things in Islam. Once you're in Islam and you're practicing, one form of this ghurur is of those people who have good deeds and bad deeds. They have hasanat and sayyiat. Like a person, as the Shaykh said, who does istighfar 100 times in the morning. He asks Allah to forgive him 100 times in the morning and then he scandalizes Muslims for the rest of the day. He backsbite people, talks about them, insults them, he's rude when he's dealing with them, but he thinks that because he made istighfar a hundred times in the morning, that that will cover all the rest of his sins. That's deception. That's a form of ghurah. Try to understand this concept. Another one is that there are amongst the scholars, there are people who actually have the outward appearance of knowledge or piety. And there are some people who think that because of their family that they don't have to do Islamic work. Oh, my father was a great scholar of Islam. I don't have to study. My mother gave in charity. I don't have to give zakat. My family is the family of the Prophet, peace and blessings be upon him. So we're all forgiven. This is deception. Even somebody who claims to have knowledge and who has the outward trappings of it can get caught up inside of this deception. Another group, which let's take it a step deeper, like the Sheikh did, there's a group that knows that you're supposed to deal with yourself, that, that you know, don't just be a Muslim on the outside, on the inside, they know this. But at the same time, they don't practice it. And so they can tell you the theory, but, they, but inside their heart they have jealousy, they do things for riyah to be seen by people. They want position. They want their name to be mentioned. They fight for authority. Their ego controls their life. This is a form of deception. Taking it a step further, we find that Ibn Qudama in, in the 8th century after the Hijrah, speaking, and this is happening to us now, that there are people who, who spend all their time on studying ilm al-khilaf. They study the knowledge of dispute, how to argue with other Muslims. And so you sp they spend their time looking up uh, answers about this issue or that issue. And so they spend all the time arguing about this issue and that issue, and then all their work is finished. They don't do dawah. They're not in the field teaching Islam to people. They're not building an Islamic society. They're not doing Amr al-Maruf or Nahya al-Munka. They're not forbidding evil where it's supposed to be forbid. But their time you know, is, is consumed fighting amongst Muslims and causing confusion. And they think that they're doing good. They think inside themselves that they're actually the true Muslims, the leaders of Islam. But they're holding back Islam. The Prophet, peace and blessings be upon him, in a hadith reported by At-Tirmidhi, which is Hassan al-Sahir, has said, مَا ضَلَّ قَوْمٌ قَدْ بَعْدَ هُدَى إِلَّا أُوتُوا الْجَدَلِ That people did not go astray after guidance until they were given dispute. The art of dispute, how to argue and debate with other people. And so we see this confusion that is coming out. <clears throat> and it is important for Muslims <clears throat> to recognize that although the, the outward systems of the world, that the material systems seem to be changing against Islam, 
or seems to be pushing people into another culture to make everybody wear the same clothes and eat the same food and you got to have a check on your hat and even now the brothers got kufis with a check on it on the kufi and everybody's wants the same. I was in Mecca making Hajj and we went to Aziziyah and we came out of the Kaaba and we looked up and the golden arches in Mecca, Pizza Hut, Baskin Robbins, Burger King. And there was a young boy, probably from a Meccan family, who has the nicest form of kebsha you eat in the afternoon, nice food, you eat it, and he was in McDonald's with his big pants and his hat on, and he had an attitude. He had an attitude. You know what I'm talking about? You walk in a, like, like, you know, like this, you sort of like limp, you know, when you're walking, right? And you got an attitude like you're angry, right? You're angry with everybody. You're not really angry, but you got this attitude, right? This, the boy had an attitude, man. And I, I said to him, Allah, you hadik, do you know what this check is on your head? May Allah guide you. You know what, the, what, you know what these things are, man? And, and when you see these things happening, not that it's haram to eat in Mecca, Okay, if, if McDonald's or Burger King here is using, uh, uh, if they're using veg, uh, uh, vegetable oil, if they have real halal beef, I wouldn't eat it unless it's slaughtered by Muslims, myself. Of course, this is a big difference of opinion among scholars. But my, my problem is, I'm from this country. I'm not somebody make a fatwa who just came off a plane. And, and when you eat McDonald's, you're eating everything. You're eating toenails, ears, <laughs> horns, cardboard, everything mixed up with sauce and fast food. And it's probably half pork and they don't even tell you. And the oil half the time has got lard in it. For those of you who like your McDonald burgers. Lard is in the oil. But the image of the arches is there. And this culture is spreading everywhere. It's unbelievable. And, and, and you know there are certain groups in the Muslim world who are being targeted. I, I've seen this happening. We have a very large community in Toronto, over 250,000 Muslims. And so we see a lot of things happening to different groups of people. There are some people in the Muslim world who have great potential. They're being targeted. Why do you think they're making such a noise about the Sudan? Why do you think they're making the noise? Because the potential oil, the Nile is there, you know, the, the knowledge is there, the crossroads of Africa moving into the Arabian Peninsula is there, a society that could lead the Muslim world is there. They targeted different countries. Yemen, in North Yemen. They targeted the people called Barawa. Barawa people live on the east coast of Africa. And they are known to be people who are involved in, in knowledge and dawah and the spreading of Islam in East Africa. So they went to the Barawa people, they were having a problem, there's a big fight going on, problems in Somalia and that region. They went to them and they said, no problem, we'll give you a visa to America. You come to America, okay? And, and, and really, you know, to a certain extent, it's good because at least it takes a person out of the line of fire. But when they got here and didn't have any institutions set up, the children become confused and get their attitudes. And if you don't have a madrasa, if you don't have a proper Islamic society to show an alternative, you're caught in a confusion. Some of our brothers went to Mauritania and they found a village in Mauritania where the people were, were scholars of Islam. And when they entered this village, it was like the, you hear the buzzing of bees because the Quran is being recited. Every house had a half as the Quran. Every house had a, had a scholar. Okay? 
Then the new world order came in. And they said to the people, we will bring you electricity. That's progress. But they also said, anybody who wants a TV and a satellite dish, it's free. And they started putting in the satellite dishes. They gave the young people scholarships to America. They came back, and after 10 years, when the brothers came back, the scholars had left the city. They were in the desert. And there were people around, boys walking with attitudes. And the Muslims were fighting over issues, which day and you're going to start Ramadan or end it, fighting and being confused about their madhab, their school of thought, things which they never had a problem with before. Suddenly it's in, their, in the name of Islam, in their community, and confusion is in there. It is a form of deception which is being used on our communities. And it is important for us to understand what is going on with this great change. In the conclusion, I would like to leave you with a hadith which sets the groundwork for our look at the whole of, of the changes in the world. In this hadith, which is reported in the Musnad of Imam Ahmed, Rahimahullah, Nu'man ibn Bashir reports, it's a long hadith, he said, we were sitting in the masjid with the Messenger of Allah and Bashir was a man who did not speak much. Abu Tha'laba al-Khushani came and he said, Bashir, do you memorize any of the hadiths of the Messenger of Allah, peace and blessings be upon him, concerning Amirs, the leaders? And then Hudayfa, he responded, another one of the Sahaba, radiallahu anhu. And he quoted from the Prophet, peace and blessings be upon him, which is confirmed by the Messenger of Allah. And, and, he's, and, and, and then the, the Prophet, peace and blessings be upon him, um, was, was, is quoted to have said in this hadith. And I'll read the English because this is a very long hadith. There will be prophethood amongst you for as long as Allah wills. Then it will be raised by Allah if he wills. Then there will be khilafat on the prophetic model. Okay, khilafat ala minhaj an nubuwa And it will be raised by Allah if he wills. And we know the Khulafa Rashidin raised. Then there will be a despotic kingdom for as long as Allah wills, and it will be raised if Allah wills. Then there will be a rule or a kingdom based on force for as long as Allah wills. And it will be raised if Allah wills. Then there would be khilafat ala minhaj al nubuwa. Then the Prophet was silent. So the end of the hadith, it goes, then there will be or thumma takunu khilafa ala minhaj al nubuwa thumma sakata. The Prophet was silent after that. So he spoke about the different rules. He spoke about first Mulkan Adda, and then he spoke about Mulkan Jabriya. These two forms. One that would be a tyrannical rule. You have no say. You be quiet. The ruler will kill you if you try to oppose him. Then there would be a rule based on force. And that's probably what we're living in right now. Might is right. So whoever has, has the power, not because you fear Allah or you have knowledge. No, none of that. It is power. But after this, the Prophet, peace be upon him, said, then there would be a society or a rule on the, on the prophetic model. Then he was quiet. And if we look at the changes going on now, this rule of power that is going on where people are being persecuted for their opinions, this cannot last. And we know this is a neo-colonial rule 
This is, this is something left over after the colonial system, and it is changing in the Muslim world. And we're moving toward the Khilafah of the Nubuwa, the prophetic model. But you have to realize, if you really want to be like the Prophet, peace be upon him, you have to live, and I have to live, completely. You can't take some of it and leave some of it. The Prophet, peace be upon him, was reported, he never struck any of his wives. He never hit them at all. He solved this problem in his home with his tongue. Zero tolerance for violence. You want to be like him? You got to go all the way. When the Prophet, peace be upon him, was, had two issues in front of his companions, two issues that were both halal, he always took the easiest one. Not the most difficult one. What is happening now is that some people with knowledge, they, 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 they give you the most difficult fatwa. Not the, not the easiest one. They might make life difficult for you. The Prophet, peace be upon him, said, Yassiru wa la tu'assiru. Bashiru wa la tu'nafiru. Make things easy. Don't make it difficult. Call people. Be positive. Don't drive people away. Be positive. This is what Islam is about. Forgive each other. And I want to end uh, with one hadith of the Prophet, peace and blessings be upon him, because I really believe that in order for us to make a change, that we have to look inside of ourselves. And Allah tells us, Inna Allah la ma anfusihim. Allah will not change the condition of a people till, he changes, till they change that which is in themselves. You want the Medina period? then you have to go through Mecca first. You want an Islamic state? Then you have to have the character and the personality for an Islamic state. Otherwise, you might be a worse oppressor than the one who's there now. The Prophet, peace be upon him, in this hadith, this is a legacy he left for us. In this hadith, it tells us, and I mentioned this today to the brothers, it's authentic hadith, not so well known by, 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 by the masses of the people. And it is reported by Ali ibn Abi Talib. In this hadith, he says, Lemma damamtu ilayya silah, Rasulullah sallallahu wajadtu fi qa'im saif Rasulullah raqa'a, fiha sil men qata'aka, wa ahsan ila men asa'a ilayk, wa qul al haq, wa law ala nafsik. In this hadith, Ali ibn Abi Talib took possession of the weapons of the Messenger of Allah. He was the one who had, was in charge of the burial. He was the oldest member of the Prophet's family. He had to deal with the personal things. So he got the sword. Now what do you expect to see on a man's weapon? Most people, when they have the weapons, they put born to kill. Or they curse their enemies. What did he have on this? It says, make relations with those who cut you off. Do good to those who harm you and speak the truth even if it is against yourself. Three great principles that we can begin with to look at what the Islamic New World Order would be because it starts within ourselves. Number one, make relations with those who cut you off. Never cut off your relationships with families, with other groups within Islam. You have non-Muslim friends, keep your relationships. You don't have to follow all the ways of people, but keep relations. Do good even if people do wrong to you. Now, now, now we stand up against evil, we will do that. But even if people did harm, the Messenger of Allah would forgive them. 
The people of Ta'if stoned him till blood poured down on his shoes and the angel of the mountains came to him and he said, no, do not destroy them because maybe there are those who would accept Islam amongst them. And they lived to see the people of Ta'if come into Islam in crowds. That is the heart of the Messenger of Allah, Rahmatan al-Alameen, a mercy for all of the worlds. And the last point is, speak the truth even if it is against yourself. And we have to be honest. If we're dealing with scholarship, we have to be honest. If we're dealing with Islam and, and the practicalities of it, we have to be honest and show all the positions of the scholars and all of the hadiths, not just the ones that support opposition. I want to end this part of our program tonight. And I ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to have mercy upon me and mercy upon you. And that we would be part of the Islamic new world order. This would be a, a world order that would establish peace and justice. That would also allow people of other persuasions to live a good life within our community. We respect the people of the book. We respect Jesus, peace be upon him. We believe that he was born without a father. That his mother was a virgin. May Allah have mercy on her. We respect Moses. We believe the water opened up for him. May Allah have mercy upon him. We respect all of the prophets. and We respect justice and peace and honesty wherever we see it. And I pray that Allah would help us to be of those who are part of this society or that our younger generation would see a change and a khilafat ala minhaj and nubuwa. A khilafat on the prophetic model. May Allah have mercy upon me and you. Aqulu qawli hadha wa astaghfirullahi wa lakum. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Uh, yes, brother. Fadl. The people who done that, I read the article last week. The Algerian government brought some foreigners. They found some of them Christian. Do these murders. They pay them money. And uh, they accuse the Muslim, and always they make it unknown. But of some of them, the Muslim, they hold them during mascaras and the village. They found them a Christian, not Muslim. I want to tell the Muslim about that. I mean. Yeah. Well, the brothers mentioning about the very confusing situation there in Algeria. And unfortunately, there are these different groups, and um, he's reporting that there was a, a Christian group. But the, well, what I've heard is these mafioso groups, these mafias, they're drug dealers who are on drugs and, and they sell drugs thugs, and that they're used by uh, the system you know, to punish the people who support the Islamic movement. Okay, Allah knows best. Any other questions uh, anybody has? I want you to mention afterwards that the tapes are on sale. Because yeah. a lot of the topics are there. Yes, brother. What do you do for uh, Muslim brothers? Uh, bearing a strong message? Yeah. Where? As the Prophet said, So, we have to. Well, you know, I think uh, <coughs> in terms of what we can do, that um, we have to try to get information, um, proper information, you know, from the ground itself, whatever part of the Muslim world it is, to hear from the people themselves what is going on in their country. And it is good to invite speakers to come in from the countries themselves who can actually explain to the community what is going on. We can get information from another source. And you know, if there's any way to help in relief efforts and you know, whatever, it is also um, you know, possible. To Some situations are very confusing ones. But whatever that you can do materially, um, whatever you can lift up your voice, you know, however you can help, um, you know, we have to try to be concerned 
with the plight of Muslims uh, all over the world. I think it's a very good point. Yes, brother. What do you feel about the possibilities of a caliphate or some type of central leadership for Muslims in the world? Well, I believe um, in the words of the Prophet, peace be upon him, and I believe that this hadith, it is authentic in its isnad, in its chain, and I believe that this will eventually come about. Um, and you can see people in the Muslim world are now getting more consciousness, and there's, there are countries you know, who want to be ruled underneath Islamic law. Um, the problem is, is you know, it, it, it's been a long time since we actually were able to practice Islam. We were underneath foreign domination. And, and, there's, and, and there's a lot of changes that's gone on in the world now with technology. So there's this storming that has to go on, and, and, and people, you know, the people who understand the book, who understand Islam, Islamic uh, scholarship, have to sit with those who understand the changes in the world, and, and, and then and bring about that type of society that would keep us within um, the laws of Allah, but would also make us relevant uh, to the issues that we are facing in the world. But inshallah, I, I believe that eventually it will come. When it comes, Allah knows best. Allah knows best. One thing about Muslims though, you know, we are a group that they, we, we always move in a jama'ah, in a group. If one Muslim does something like everybody wants to do it, like, so if some Muslim country gets an Islamic, you know, state, you better watch out, man. Uh, everybody will want to get it, especially if, if it's successful, right? If it brings peace in the society and, you know, people can, you know, live in decent way and practice their Islam, you know, people will want that, man. Because we, we want to be in a society with no drugs and no drugs, no prostitution. No, no, no racism, you know, things like that. We, we, we would love to have a society uh, like this. The question is, we always blame the West, CNN, etc., for many of our problems. Um, don't you think we as Muslims should take the responsibility? I agree completely. Uh, the person who wrote this, this is why I said that the, the real deception is within ourselves, And that Allah says he will not change the condition of a people until they change that which is in themselves. He didn't say change all the things outside. He said change what's in yourself. And that's the first stage that the Muslims have to go through. That is the stage. And please, don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not saying everything on CNN is wrong. I'm not saying it's haram, prohibited to watch the CNN. Don't get me wrong, right? But I'm just saying that many times, you know, when you get the news, it is one-sided or, or it's not factual in terms of what actually goes on on the ground. And there's an agenda. There's a certain a, a slant that the news does take. And unfortunately, uh, normally news you know, about Islam is not you know, good news, it's always something negative. We have a group, it's, it's, we, we applied for a government uh, charitable status, and it's Islamic social services. And the people wrote us back and they said, Islamic social services? Like, how can the two words go together? If you said Islamic jihad, Islamic terrorism, Islamic bomb, yes. But Islamic social services, you feed the poor? You, you take care of, of, of children? Yeah, but then when we explain what it is, it just, it's our spirituality, man. It's our spirituality. Okay, it's nothing to do with all this politics, you know, the, the, the you know, things that you're seeing. The question is, is covering the face fard? Is it compulsory? No, it is not compulsory. The, the majority of the scholars, um, including the great scholars of the four schools of thought, I have not made it compulsory on women to cover their face. Um, you know, the, the, the Jamhur position is that she should cover everything uh, except, the, uh, uh, except the face and the hands. That is the majority position. Although it is permissible, it is a practice of the wives of the Prophet and some of the women in the Prophet's time did do it, and it is permissible for a woman if, she, if, if out of modesty she wants to cover her face. Next is, what do you think about the, um, 
the West trying to introduce its own brand of Islam under the new world order, black and white Muslims. Um, yes, this, this unfortunately is part of the um, uh, confusion that is going on. And um, I don't know how it is in Miami, but if you're up in New York City, they have a new leader every week, man. You know, they have Khalifas and Mahdi's and Mujeddids and <laughs> prophets and everybody running around. Okay, so, so you know, it's the problem that is happening within this type of a, uh, you know, of, a, of a situation. And unfortunately, there are groups that have popped up in the Muslim world, and this is not just right now, in the past few hundred years and even before, that have claimed prophethood and they've brought in very bizarre forms of cult uh, life and, and, and they said it was Islam. It says, can you talk briefly on the way government is in, in Spain treated non-Muslim minorities compared to the way the later Christian governments treated Muslims? Yes, I was mentioning that within the golden age of Islam that um, uh, Christians the Muslim, uh, and Jews were allowed to study and they were actually part of even like the, the government courts and they were intellectuals and scholars and whatever and it was allowed within a society. Uh, it was a very open society uh, in that sense. Uh, Islam was, was the rule uh, of life, but it was a very open society. Unfortunately, even though they were so tolerant, um, they had to go through the Spanish Inquisition, uh, which came on um, later on, 14th, 15th, 16th uh, century, uh, even later than that to a certain extent, where people were um, put at the stake. Uh, they were put in front of an inquisitor, and if you're not a Catholic, um, you're Jewish, you're Muslim, or anything else, they'll burn you at the stake. And so hundreds and thousands of people died by fire, or they were driven out of their homes in that time. You know, and it's really a sad um, period in history to read you know, what happened, even though um, you know, there were great uh, achievements in Spain. Sometime in Spain, we have to be honest, there were some rulers in Spain who were tyrants, too, Muslims. It, like it wasn't all good, right? We have good and bad. But we have a revival. That's one thing we have, tajdeed. So they had tajdeed in Spain, al-murabitun, al-muwahhidun. Groups came in and they made tajdeed, they, they, they revived um, the original Islamic teachings. Next question is, what is the end of the story regarding the scholar who was looking for the Muslim wife? Uh, how did he choose his wife? That, that's a very good question. Actually, you know that the, the historian who was telling, it, telling us never really told us the end of the story. He just said that you know, the Khalifa eventually did get married. Um, I think that was the last condition he put. Uh, but he did eventually get married, but um, I never really heard you know, what, what was the final outcome. What, what was the important part of the story was that it showed how much scholarship that the women had in Spain uh, at that time. Next it says, can you give some information regarding what Halloween means to non-Muslims? <coughs> For those who want <coughs> a detailed look at that, uh, Sound Vision has released a tape here. It's called Holiday Myths. And in this tape, I'm, I'm, I'm giving you an overview of the, 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 the nature-based religions that influenced um, the, the teachings of Jesus, peace be upon him. Um, and you find the discussion concerning Christmas and the winter solstice, uh, Easter and the spring sol solstice, and Halloween, which was actually uh, the end of the year and the new year before. The day of Samhain, tonight is supposed to be the day of the Lord of the Dead. And many people used to believe that um, the souls of the dead people would come to the surface and they were very afraid and they put bonfires and some even covered their faces with masks so they wouldn't be um, terrorized by the ghosts who might come to the surface. And so it was a night really where the focus was on evil. So when the Christian church came in, um, they made um, uh, All Saints Day, 
which is November 1st, or All Hallows Day, and the evening before became All Hallows Evening, which became All uh, Halloween. What you see today, uh, trick-or-treating, is just American business. This, this is what this has become like. This is American business um, uh, acumen, because this has become one of the you know, best ways to make money quick. You know, if, if you sell sweets and stuff to kids, it's a big billion-dollar enterprise or so now. Um, but you know, for Muslims, it's a very um, confusing time, in a sense, because our literature, and even Christian literature, if you really go into it, and Jewish literature, talks about the devil as the open enemy of humanity. The devil is not our friend. And we're not supposed to play games and dress up like little devils and run around vampires and, and especially begging. We don't send our children out to ask for things. Prophet, peace be upon him, said, that the upper hand is better than the lower hand. And so we don't teach our, our children to be begging for things uh, that they should be giving things. And the next problem is, even if you do get the candy, you don't know if it's halal or not. Because there's pork products, byproduct, gelatin, glycerin, all these things inside the gummy type, you know, candy things. And, so, and also, uh, we know that the, the rise of the Church of Satan, Anton Levy, the San Francisco-based Church of Satan, which is now spreading across America. And there are many Satanists who also, there's certain rituals that go on tonight in certain groups. And it's, it's coming to the surface now what's happening with these, these occult uh, organizations. So it's actually dangerous. And you'll see, even in the greater society in Toronto, they had a whole page showing how to protect your children on Halloween, even for non-Muslims. So it, it really is getting dangerous, and there's some perverted people who are disguising themselves and, and, and carrying out their acts of perversion uh, on this night, uh, uh, very unfortunately. Yeah. Yes, sir. Well, you know, as I said, um, many of the Muslims are caught up in deception. That this life is nothing but material deception. So many of us get caught up in that dream of winning the lottery or making money and some people feel that they have to sell alcohol because if you don't, people won't come to your shop and you have to sell the lottery in order to get business. They're just caught up. So even they'll take things that are haram because they think that they have to because the dunya. And the more money you get is the more you want. So it's like a cycle, it's a, it's a vicious cycle that people get involved in with you know, get taken in money and spending money. And it is a form of deception. And unfortunately, many of the Muslims are caught up in this material deception in the society itself. May Allah guide them and guide us out of this deception. Yes, sir. Well, you know, this is a very good question. You know, um, the, the, the opposite question is, what happens if people come to your house trick-or-treating? Now, basically, you know, we try to stay out of these things altogether, really. And if you have the type of a house where you can shut your door and turn off the front lights, you know, don't put a jack-o'-lantern in your window, right? And, 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 and you, know, cl you know, you turn your lights off, shut your door, most people will just leave you alone. Can you give them kosher thing, like uh, chips? Well, I mean, okay, one question, yeah, can you, the, the, well, the question, can you give them halal chips? But the thing is still, I mean, see, but, but that gets into a thing now, do you want to do it or not? Like one brother said, I mean, he wants a Christmas tree, so he's going to get a palm tree for Christmas. <laughs> you know, with dates hanging off it. And that's going to be his Christmas tree. No, man, if you don't get a Christmas tree, you don't get a Christmas tree. 
But we have to use wisdom. And there are some cases in, in very tight-knit communities where your neighbor is coming with the child. You know the people, you see them every day, the child is dressed like a little angel, right? and the child comes to the door, it's your neighbor, man. Okay, use your wisdom, open up the door, let him in, give him some halal cookies you know, and some milk. You, know, you don't have to give him you know, Halloween candy, but give them something you know, wholesome, nutritious, you know, and tell them we have our own you know, thing. Even tell them you know, about, you know, to watch out for the devil and what is our position on the devil. Give some dawah, be friendly to the people, you know, in that case. But I think in general, um, it is wise for us you know, to try to avoid this as, as much as possible. You can close your door and turn off your lights and not be involved. You know, I, I think it's the wisest uh, uh, situation. What if you suggest to dissuade children not to take part in uh, Christian or Jewish or other right. traditions or activities? <coughs> we must replace them with our own because this is really failing. We are not working hard enough to do something for the youth. The other thing is that I don't see an institution that is gaining momentum or even starting to do something on a larger basis. It's all well and good that don't do or this, but it, it, you know, part of the, like Brother <coughs> said, some of them will still go to the Hayat, uh, to the or, or the life of this world because there is nothing else to attract them or to keep them within. Because what I'm seeing now in the United States, a lot of our youth are marrying outside of their faith. And there is very little being done. I tell you my own personal incidents when I was a student in England. I was 16 year old and I used to play table tennis in a church club. And I used to be partnering with a girl and we used to started talking immediately. The father came after me and maybe he could convert or what is he doing and what faith he is and what's going on. And this is important because we don't have where anybody's enough uh, interest or sincerity to do something practical to really look at the roots of the problem and try to cut them down from there rather than look at the, the, the tree itself and say, oh, we take the fruit here and do this, but this has to be at the root level because this is where we must, we do not have, like in the Christianity, you have these fathers who do not marry, who go out into the world and who serve, of course we do dawah, but is it the same? level of dedication that we need. And this is where we're going to bring something to the youth that they must serve or we must start or somebody should start and we join hands because I don't see well, I was going to ask your own institution exactly this is what you're doing because you mentioned something social services and how we can help you or somebody else who is doing something that we can be part of it and we can do if I do not have the time I could do with money I could do with Whatever way I could, I mean, we all want to do things, but sometimes we find that we're being foolish by going to the charities which are in name only. Mm -hmm. And this is where we have to establish something that is really authentic and we can believe in, we can trust in, and we can support it. And this is what I would like something from you, maybe where we can put our energy and okay. resources. Right. Well, what, what the question is is concerning the alternatives. If we are saying that you should not be involved in Halloween, and in Christmas and other occasions, and what is the Islamic alternative? This is a very good question. And actually, um, I would invite you to come uh, to the next two programs, um, which would be tomorrow night and Sunday morning, and um, you'll be hearing the announcements. We're dealing with the dilemma of Muslim youth, and also we're dealing with the importance of Islamic education and some alternatives. There we will have uh, more time to really look at the issue and to discuss some actual practical alternatives 
uh, to the problem we're facing. What I would like to say, since we're talking about holidays, is that the first thing we need to do is to put more emphasis on the Islamic holidays. Our Eid al-Fitr, our Eid al-Adha that we have, Muslims, some people go to work, man. They go to Eid prayer in the morning and they go to work. Afterward, the children don't even enjoy themselves on that day. So how do you expect the child not to want Christmas or not to want Halloween when you don't have a day where they can enjoy themselves and feel good about themselves, learn about their religion, eat food with other people, you know, get nice things? We have to put more emphasis as a community on the Eid and make the Eids to be memorable occasions for the young people so that they would not need to have a Christmas tree or need to go trick-or-treating. Okay? Other alternatives in terms of recreation and other areas, inshallah, in the program coming, we will be speaking very seriously about some of the other alternatives uh, you know, concerning our, our thing. And one of the questions here, which I guess will be the, the last question, uh, last two questions. One is, is, is there any country in the Muslim world that you can give as an example of the Islamic New World Order? From my humble understanding uh, of the Muslim world, I haven't seen uh, or heard of any country that has really um, evolved into a, a proper Islamic state. There are some countries that have elements of Islam. There are some moving towards it. But there are none that, that have developed into uh, what we have studied to be uh, the Khilafat ala minhaj al-Nubu'ah. And we pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would uh, change our conditions so that we have that country. The question is, is, uh, is that my family is Catholic. Um, is it allowed to enter their houses when they are, uh, when they are decorated with Christmas items? Well, you know, um, we should keep relations with our families. And um, you have to use your wisdom when you're dealing with you know, the, the, the traditions of, of, of the people who you came from. Because they raised you, right? You were a young child. They fed you. They clothed you. You have to respect them for that. So therefore, you know, um, I don't think it's wise to totally cut off our relationship with them. However, we should not participate in their ceremonies where shirk is involved, polytheism, where kufa, Anything, eating big uh, ham uh, is put on the table, they're drinking rum, or they're putting wine inside of the pudding, or the pie. We don't involve ourselves in any of the haram activities. However, mimbaba dawah, you know, with the intention of the dawah, of spreading Islam, you can go to your family's house on certain occasions, spend some time with them, give them dawah about Islam, show them a good example, and then, you know, after a while, then you leave. Because you know, usually people are civil and they meet and they talk about family affairs and, and then later on then they start breaking out the bottles. As soon as that cork comes off or that, that, you know, that bottle comes, you say, Asalaamu Alaikum, you know, peace be upon you, I'm out of here. Then you have to leave, okay? So, you know, but, but, but I think we should keep relations with our families um, because brothers and sisters have found that when they maintained the relationship, showed respect to the family, that um, it was a source of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guiding people within that family to Islam. So, so that you should maintain it, but, but try to stay out of um, their, their activities. Just walking in a place that has decorations, that in itself is not haram, Christmas decorations. Because, I mean, the universe in Miami might even have some things hanging up around, right? Christmas trees are everywhere. They're downtown. Okay, this is Miami. I don't know. Like, in Toronto, it's everywhere, right? In the north, it's everywhere. It's a northern uh, part. So, you know, so, I mean, just that being there, is not gonna, is not a haram, you know, it's not haram unless this, the ceremonies, that the food, haram food being taken in. So, so you know, we, we, we try to avoid as much as we possibly can. 
but at the same time, use your wisdom and, and, and maintain relations with your family. Okay? So I want to end here, uh, and uh, we'll have the, 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 the announcement, inshallah, and um, anybody else can ask me some of the questions later. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika, nishadu an la ilaha ila anta nastaqfuruku natubu ilayk, bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim walas, hinna l-insan la fi khus, illa ladhina amanu wa amila salihat wa tawasu bilhaq wa tawasu bilsabr. وصلى الله تعالى سيدنا محمد وآله وصحبه أجمعين وآخر دعوانا أن الحمد لله رب العالمين